Penny is away on uh, General Assembly this past week, along with Tobias and Charlie Nave, and they, ho I hope, will give a great report of, of their adventure at the PCA General Assembly in Atlanta. And so uh, I've been asked to uh, join in the summer series that we've begun in the Psalms. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in our confusion and our weakness and our struggles, if a man after God's own heart would tell us really what it's like to walk with God and to know God and to worship him. If, if David, the shepherd king, would have written down uh, what a guidebook and a, and, a, and a plan for us, a pattern and a paradigm for us to follow, wouldn't that be helpful in our life together and our worship and our relationship with God? Well, of course, um, that did happen. And you're holding it in your hands, hopefully, today. Well, you are if you have your order of worship. We're going to turn to Psalm 30. And uh, even better than that, the Holy Spirit inspired David to write what he wrote to be just what we need to hear. And isn't that a great privilege that we have? So let's begin with prayer before we read the scripture today. Lord, thank you for uh, your word Thank you for the light, a lamp unto our feet. Lord, thank you that in our struggles and in our confusion, in our wondering of what, it's, what it really means to follow you and to know you and how that can even be possible, that you've given us your word as our sure guide. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would open our eyes and the ears of our heart that we might Behold wonderful things from your law today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll turn in your Bibles or your smart device or the, in the order of worship, we're going to look at Psalm 30. Let's read together. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. 
O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Interesting that at the beginning of this psalm, it says that this is a song, a song or a psalm for the dedication of the temple. Um, David did not live to see the building of the temple. That fell, of course, to his son Solomon, which set people to wondering, well, why would David write a psalm for the dedication? Um, and in the psalm itself, as you notice, doesn't ever mention any aspect of a building or a a uh, service of worship or any of the activities that would be going on in, in the temple in the future. Uh, it um, leads people to wonder, well, what was this, what was he really trying to do here? And one, one of the debates is that word temple is really house. And so there are those that translate it that way and say, well, David used this prayer or this song or psalm at the dedication of his own house when it was built. That was a great celebration. It was a great event for him to be uh, dwelling there in Jerusalem as the king, the anointed king. And uh, certainly he dedicated uh, his house to the Lord. And it could be uh, they have various theories on, on uh, other times. You might want to look them up just to reflect and form your own opinion. David's house is described there in 2 Samuel 5. In uh, 2 Samuel 6 is when David brought the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. And some people conjecture maybe that's the event that David is uh, preparing this song for, the dedication of that altar of the Lord and uh, the erection of the temporary tabernacle there in Jerusalem. Also, um, one that I think bears a lot of um, credence is First Chronicles 21, when David, uh, in his arrogance, in his pride, he performed a census on Israel. You remember that? And he was forbidden to do that, but for some reason he decided to do it. And because of that, God brought a plague, as you remember, on Israel and put to death 70,000 Israelites. And that plague was stopped, remember, at the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. And at that place, David built an altar. And David praised the Lord for his, his relenting of his judgment and his favor upon Israel. So that, that became the, the site. We now call it the Temple Mount but it became the site where the temple was actually built, where David erected that altar. So that would have been a fitting occasion as well for a dedication service. And uh, there's others as well. It may be that when Absalom uh, defiled David's house years later and chased David into the wilderness and his army tried to defeat David's army, and of course then Absalom was defeated and David returned to Jerusalem, but his house had been defiled and maybe it needed to be rededicated. That's a possibility as well. But it's timely for us because if you're like me, you're looking forward to a day pretty soon when there'll be a dedication of a building. <laughs> and um, that'll be a great event. Uh, and it'll be an exciting one. So we will have some kind of, I'm sure the elders will plan a a suitable 
celebration of that event. And uh, this, this psalm then can give us a pattern for us as we prepare for that kind of occasion as well. Because what we have here is not so much a, a psalm about a building or a place or even a temple or a house, but we have here David becoming very honest and intimate with us about what he intend, how he intends to live and how he intends to, to walk before the Lord. And he gives us a paradigm for our lives. So the more important question is not, you know, what aspects of a building, features and functions of a building, but the more important aspect is the functions and the pattern of our lives as we are faithful in a, in a new place. So <clears throat> the first thing that David points out to us in the first four verses, really, that this place, his life, he says, will be a life of thanksgiving, a practice of thanksgiving. There will be a continual practice of thanksgiving. Theologians classify Psalm 30 as a psalm of thanksgiving. Now, there, you might be a better theologian than I am if, if you can decide the difference between thanksgiving and praise. I've always struggled with those two concepts. And when I learned that the Hebrew word is often translated, sometimes praise and sometimes thanksgiving, I, I relaxed a little bit because it's hard. They, they classify some psalms as, this is a psalm of praise. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. Well, what's the difference? Some people say, well, thanksgiving is for what God has done recently. Praise is for, for what he's done a long time ago. That's not quite good enough, I don't think. And other people say, well, Thanksgiving is for, for answered prayer, and um, praise is for who God is. And that's sort of true, but the way we know who God is is what he does and what he gives us. So the two fit together, right? But David's intention of his life and the one he sets before us as an example today is there in verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord. The purpose of his life, the purpose of his heart is to glorify and to magnify and to give thanks to God. That is the orientation, that's the pattern of his life, his practice of his life. Now this is a time of year that graduations happen, right? What's the best thing about graduation? Graduation gifts. <laughs> uh, weddings happen in June a lot and that's one of the nice things about weddings is wedding gifts. But what comes on the heels of that? Those of you that are veterans know. Thank you notes, right? <laughs> and and uh, if you're not well organized, you may be like me, and you'll wake up one day and think, I know that aunt so-and-so gave me a really nice gift. I wrote a bunch of thank you notes, but I'm not sure I wrote her one. And Three months, four months have gone by, and I, I don't know, should I send her another one and embarrass myself, or should I just let the whole thing go, and maybe she'll love and forgive me because she's my aunt? And we all tend to be that way, don't we, where we can, we can enjoy the celebration, but we forget to say thank you. But David's, the purpose of his heart here is to say, I am going to praise you, Lord. And why does he do that? He gives us three reasons. He says, for you have drawn me up. That word drawn is a, 
is like the word that we use to draw water out of a deep well. You have pulled me up. You have rescued me. You have raised me up. You have taken me out of a place where I couldn't get out of. And that's why I will praise you. And Lord, you have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, as you read the Psalms this summer, I'm sure that you'll run across this concept of foes, enemies. The Psalms are full of them. Okay, and you, you might take stock and think, I don't have any enemies. Everybody pretty much likes me. Okay, that's good, but we need to recognize that we, the Bible says we do have enemies. We have very serious enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil are, are all set against us. And David is rejoicing and thanking God because his foes, his enemies, have not rejoiced over him. They have not had victory over him. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. That's a word that's used twice in this psalm. Help and helper. I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. So this points out um, probably a physical illness. David was ill at times. And when a king is ill, he's vulnerable. He's weak. He can't go out to battle. He can't command his kingdom and his army. So when a king is on his sickbed, it's a good time for his foes to try to, as it were, kick a man while he's down, right? So it's doubly dangerous for a king with, with enemies to be sick. And he says, Lord, I cried to you and you healed me. You've not brought, you have brought my soul up from literally the place of death. That's how sick he was. That's how ill he was. And it may be spiritual and physical that he's talking about here. You restored me to life from those from among those who go down to the pit. Perhaps the reason that you and I struggle to remember to be thankful and to make a practice of that every day in our worship, in our prayers, in our, just in our daily walk, uh, we often uh, become grumblers rather than thankful people because we forget how great, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, how great our sin and misery really are. And how great a savior, how great a rescue. David didn't lose sight of that. He every day remembered. That's why we need to come together and hear God's word. That's why we need to be reminded of how great our sin was. That's why we have time of confession. That's why we, we need to remember the great salvation that Christ has provided. And out of that, a posture of thanksgiving. If we don't thank the Lord and praise him for what he has done in our lives, we'll all find something else to admire and to appreciate, someone else to praise. It might be superheroes in media. It might be celebrities. It might be people, false things that people that claim they can rescue us. It may even be our family, our boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. While they're a blessing to us, they ultimately aren't who we live to praise. Who do you live to praise? Who do you live to give thanks to? David invites you in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord. O you, his saints. He calls us together with him to do what? To sing praises and give thanks to his holy name. May we never forget 
how great a salvation we have and become unthankful people. Secondly, David's pattern of worship for us is one of death to life, life and death. And this pattern is illustrated here in verse 5, where David says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. One of the most poetic and wonderful phrases, one in wonderful verses in all the Psalms, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor for a whole life. Weeping may tarry for the night. That word tarry means, uh, it's the word that you use for a, a guest who would come and spend the night. Think of it as an unwanted guest <laughs> who comes and spends the night. Um, isn't it a wonderful thing when, when you know they're leaving in the morning? <laughs> Weeping may be like that unwanted guest who stays for the night. But David assures us that joy comes in the morning. And we say things like that to each other and to our children. Perhaps you remember your mother, your father saying that to you. It'll be better in the morning as you went glumly to bed or were upset about something. Let's get a good night's sleep and things will look better in the morning. And that's often true, isn't it? But in the big picture of things, that kind of counsel just sort of falls down when the darkness of a diagnosis comes to us, when the news of a loss, a terrible loss, a grievous loss of a loved one perhaps, or of an opportunity, or of a business, or of a job. And if people come to us and say, you know, things will be better in the morning, you, 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 you want to punch them. Because is that really true? And for, for us, if you want to look over, I think one of the places where that's illustrated the best is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can flip over there if you have a Bible handy or just listen to me where Paul describes his life in Christ. He says, we are, a, this is verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. There you have the overarching pattern of every one of our lives in Christ. It's going to be an experience both of death and resurrection. There's going to be that reality as we are in Christ, we experience his death. Paul just described it in many different ways. And that's the overarching pattern, but isn't it wonderful to hear the announcement that it's only for a time. The time of death is a fixed amount of time. The time of suffering is a fixed amount of time. It will come to an end 
It is not permanent. It is only temporal. And Paul said later on in this chapter, it's not worthy to be compared. The present suffering that we have is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Christ. And so for us, history has this framework now of Jesus Christ coming in his death and resurrection. Jesus entered into the darkness of night. In fact, in such a real way that in the middle of the day, from the third hour to the sixth hour, it became dark. The darkness overcame the light of the sun that Jesus entered into the wrath of God, that he might defeat death and he might defeat sin and all its consequences and that he might be raised from the dead in our behalf on that beautiful Easter morning that was soon to come. And because Jesus has been raised on that Easter morning, you 